0: So have you ever read a book, had some really good stuff in it, but also had some dodgy stuff in it? You ever read a book like that? So I'm not going to tell you the name of the book because I don't want you to read it. (laughs) There's too much dodgy stuff in it. But there was one line in it that I'll never forget, and I've communicated this to a lot of people over the years, and they all agree. I actually remember where I was. You ever read a book where, you know... And, and you had one of those epiphanies, and you knew where, you knew exactly where you were when it happened, and you never forgot that moment. I was, it was 2002, and I was parked. In my lunch break, I would always read or do Bible study at lunch and in front of the state capitol there in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I read this line, and the light bulb came on. This is what it said. There is in the heart of every human being a deep longing for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Some of you probably had already figured that out, you know, on your own. But I thought about that real deeply and I thought that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I ultimately that's exactly what I want. Oh, guess what? His name is Jesus Christ. And that's where my my, that's where my mind goes. And so my mind immediately went there and it opened up this whole vista of contemplation and meditation for me. A deep longing for intimacy, beauty, and adventure, and I would simply add the words genuine, authentic, lasting intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Let me define the words for you. Intimacy, to know and be known completely. Perfect love and communication, to be desired and pursued, to experience perfect oneness, tenderness, kindness, and mutual delight. Beauty, of course, you know what it is, to see it, to see the wonder of it, to be in awe of it, to drink it in, to savor see as C.S. Lewis says, to enter into it and become part of it, to be one with it. You know, beauty is one of those words that's just almost impossible to define. You know what an adventure is, to fully engage our capacities, abilities, talents in a challenging, exciting, and worthy endeavor. To give ourselves to and spend ourselves in a noble venture experiencing ultimate exhilaration. So beauty, intimacy, and adventure, it sounds like fairy tale stuff. Where do you think they got the fairy tales, right? It's from the core of the heart, right? I love what one theologian said. The world of the gospel contains all the elements of the world of fairy tale, with one notable exception, the gospel's true. (laughs) I love what he says. Not only did it happen once upon a time, but it is happening now and will happen for countless eternities. I love that. So what I mean by true, genuine, authentic, lasting intimacy, beauty, and adventure is that God is the source of all of that. And if you do not know that, I don't think you understand what the gospel is. You may know some facts, but if you are not in deep relationship with the living God, you have not understood. You may be religious. You may belong to a denomination. You may have been baptized. You may have prayed the prayer. But if you do not know him and love him, you do not understand what Christianity is. It's deep relationship. John 17, three, I always say it, right? John 17, three, Jesus is praying to the father. This is eternal life that they may know you. And if you don't know him, which we understand what that means, right? Like you, like you, uh, you know, your spouse or you know, your kids or you know, your best friend. There's, there's, there's a relationship there. It's real. It's not theoretical. It's real. So that's pretty important, I think. So for those uh, those of us who have attained a certain number of years, and I'm always the oldest guy in the room anymore, categorically know that some of you, some of what you younger people may not be fully convinced of yet, and that is nothing in this life will satisfy me. Nothing. I was wired for God. Uh, and again, as, a, as an old man, I, I can confess, and I've told you this before, I, I, if God hadn't saved me at 28, I'm pretty sure I'd be dead. I'm just pretty sure I'd be dead because I was so bored. I was so bored with everything, and maybe I'm unusual, but nothing in this world, no accomplishment, no no acquisition, no relationship, no offspring, Nothing can satisfy what God has put in your heart. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the heart of man. So what does natural man, how does natural man try to satisfy that eternity in our heart? We know many try to suppress it and domesticate it, right? It's called conformity. Well, I'll just live like everybody else. Surely there must be something good in that. Right. I'll conform to the world. And I guess that's where happiness must be. I don't experience it, but I guess that's where it must be. Others, as you know, try to satisfy that eternal desire in some overly indulgent, sensual way, normally leading to gross sin in their lives. But both of these strategies are doomed. God wired you for himself. And that in large measure is why we we sing Behold Your God. And that's why we sing Good Good Father. That's what eternity's about. Is is that relationship. It's that 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 sacred romance, you know, that never wanes. You guys all I guess all of you have been in here, you've experienced love. You know what that what that romantic love thing is, and there's all this heat and passion and excitement, and it's thrilling, and it's wonderful, and you know it's great. And I hate to make a a temporal analogy, but that's some echo of what it will be like. Be with King Jesus forever. The romance, it never wanes. It only it only gets bigger and bigger and bigger and wider and wider and wider. So we were made for infinite intimacy, infinite beauty and infinite adventure. His name again is Jesus Christ. I had to go to this text Isaiah 65, 1, I'll just share it with you. I love this text. God says, I permitted myself to be sought by you, and you never asked for me, right? Of course, I'm paraphrasing here. No man's ever sought for God, Romans 3. No man seeks for God. No man wants God, Romans 1, right? We get that. But he says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. And then he goes on, I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. Do you understand what a gift it is to be a Christian? You didn't go looking for it. You didn't even want it. You know, he came to seek and save those who were lost, that which was lost. It wasn't you. We're like Adam and Eve. They were hiding and God showed up. And in a a sense, you and I are hiding in the exact same place way. I just love this text. It's an amazing text. God put us in paradise and we rebelled. You know, I get so bored. I shared this with you many, many times. I get so bored with people blaming God for the bad stuff that happens. He put us in paradise. Why does bad stuff happen? Because of you and me and every human being before you and me. That's why bad stuff happens. And God works good. Listen, anytime you see evil, you have to remember the cross. God worked good in the murder of His Son. It's a pretty stunning consideration. God says, here I am. (laughs) God's in the manger. He's on the cross. He's here to take us back to paradise. He's going to take us home. It's stunning. in how He has sacrificed Himself for his people. You guys know the famous C.S. Lewis quote about heaven, right? If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. It's simply brilliant, right? It's simple, but it's brilliant. If you're dissatisfied, you're not made for here. Are you dissatisfied? Well, to some degree, all of us are in some sense, you know, The older I get, the more I long for heaven. You know, it's just like I'm so tired of all the garbage and all the junk and all the blasphemy I have to put up with living in this fallen world. I do look forward to being with the Lord. Some of you will know G.K. Chesterton. He was a 20th century writer. He, He writes, I was told again and again that I was in the right place. The here and now. And it depressed me. It depresses me. But when I heard I was in the wrong place, my soul sang for joy. I knew now why I felt so homesick all the time. And as we continue to talk about heaven, you should have a homesickness. If you don't have a homesickness, you're thinking about it wrong. This is not your home. You're out of here. Real quick. So, and then you know the famous Peter Pan quote, right, Lenny? Do you remember it? Okay. Okay. Rohan, do you remember it? You've been around for a while. I, I always have the. I, I, I use this at every funeral. The famous Peter Pan quote. Anybody know? To die, would be an awfully big, adventure. So this is true. This is true for us. It will be the biggest adventure we've ever been on. Right? <laughs> you know, we just pass. It's just like walking through a door, and bam, all the garbage is gone. And it's just God forever, right? And of course, all the secondary derivative joys that we'll talk again, we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Can we even begin to imagine the new heaven and new earth biblically? Yes and no. You know, I've already alluded to the fact that it's the Bible doesn't really speak. It's not it's not like a text that you can exposit to any great degree where you get all of the the inferences, biblical inferences about heaven. But we have talked about 1 Corinthians 2, 9, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which has not entered the heart of man, all God has prepared for those who love him. So there's one sense in which we cannot even begin to imagine. But that very next verse there in 1 Corinthians 2, 10, it says, for to us, God has revealed them through the spirit. So we have some sense, not an exhaustive sense, but we have some sense about what the new heaven and new earth will be like. Certainly, there'll be countless surprises there. Jaw-dropping, soul-expanding, mind-blowing, heart-exploding surprises. But we have have this beautiful revelation of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, right? And every time we catch a genuine glimpse of God in Scripture, it's a foretaste of heaven, (laughs) okay? And I'll just give you a couple of things to think about here. Every beautiful... Intimate, adventurous moment in the Bible is a dim foreshadowing of the new heaven and new earth. You think about God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Think about it. You think about how repeatedly and intimately he revealed himself to Abraham. You think about him revealing his holiness to Moses at the bush. Think about the transfiguration of Christ with Peter, James, and John as they saw his glory. God will forever disclose himself to his people. You know, Jonathan Edwards talks about that, that he reveals himself to all mankind, all creatures, to the whole cosmos. He's revealed himself, but to the redeemed, he has communicated himself. Listen, man, you got You got to read theology. I mean, it'll it'll jack you up, right? You got to read theology. You got to read guys that have gone deep with God. You know, there's a whole difference. There's a big difference between being revealed and being communicated. Right. It's just God is our inheritance, of course. A couple of more observations just from Scripture in general. You know, the the omnipotent power as he speaks two trillion galaxies into existence. You guys remember Job 38, 7, when he was when he was rebuking Job about where were you when I? made the foundation of the earth. He says, and all the sons of God, which are angels, they shouted for joy at the power of God. If your eyes are open and you're thinking, right? I I see the power of God everywhere. I see the genius of God everywhere. I see the goodness of God everywhere. The fact that I can see something beautiful and I can appreciate it and I can dwell on it and I can thank God for it. I mean, that's all a miracle right there. As Einstein said, everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle. Everything's a miracle. Every day you wake up, it's a miracle. You know, just get into the physics of the earth and the sun and the galaxies and the cosmos and the, you know, Milky Way going through space at half a billion miles an hour, whatever it is. Of course, we could talk about the cell. I'm going to shut up. But it's just everywhere. The genius and power of God. You think about God's tenderness. You remember when he came to Elijah? You remember when when Jesus shared himself selflessly with his disciples? How about the joy that God has revealed in in the Bible? You remember the joy of his people at the Red Sea? And then the joy of, of Mary Magdalene at the resurrection? Every time God kept a promise in the Bible, it was a preview of the new heaven and new earth. Every Bible, every Bible promise that was kept, which is every one of them, if he made it, it's just a preview. It's a preview of the new heaven and new earth, right? He will keep every promise to you. He will fill your soul forever. You will be going deeper, as the song said, deeper and deeper and deeper with God. In one sense, heaven is all over the pages of Scripture. So I'm gonna, I want to say it like this. It's in every intimate moment between God and His people. It's in every breathtaking display of God's beauty. It's in every outrageous adventure God took his people through in the future. As you read the Bible, right? As you feel the adventure of, to this Jews, right? Maybe, maybe you'll have a thought about heaven and what it would be like to, to, to know and be in deep relationship, you know, physical deep relationship with, with King Jesus and, and whatever adventure he has for us in the new heaven and new earth. People say it's hard to get a solid picture of heaven in the Bible. There, there are glimpses everywhere. Again, it defies verse by verse exposition, but it's there for those who have the eyes to see. So. I hope you've had I, I hope from the previous messages you can at least answer this question. I probably most of you could already. But there is there's a nuance here that I think many people who attend church are not fully aware Uh, What happens to the Christian when he dies? We saw last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We saw Paul talking about that, right? So we get that. But you guys know the present heaven is a temporary state. You're supposed to know it's a temporary state. It's not the final state. I know I've been bludgeoning the new heaven and new earth, but that is our final destination. The Christian presently goes to heaven, but there is more to come. I think many Christians don't make this distinction, and we've talked a little bit about it, right? Some people think, well, I'm going to be a cherub on a cloud, and we've, we've debunked that, and I think some people think it's going to be an eternal church service. Uh, I don't think I've used that metaphor yet, but uh, I can debunk that. The present heaven, the intermediate heaven, will give way to the new heaven and new earth. You heard me read it in Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Randy Alcorn, I've recommended this book to you. I just bought it so you could see it again. he's, He's wrote a big, big book on heaven. And it's really, it's really good. It's, it's worth the time. I think it's 500 pages. It's worth the time, okay? It will expand your view of, uh, your biblical view of, of heaven. He writes, most views of heaven are anti-incarnational. This is wrong. We will be physical men and women living on a physical earth, serving a resurrected physical God. This is the new heaven and new earth. Yes, you will hug Jesus Christ, I think. I can't give you a text, but I'm pretty sure you will. So if you're thinking anti-incarnational, you're way off base and you've got a lot of things to learn. You've got a lot of Bible study to do. We, We cannot fail to grasp that the eternal state will be God dwelling with us, a resurrected people and a resurrected earth with a resurrected God. He goes on to say, if the, if the eternal heaven will be the new earth, doesn't that suggest that the current earth must be bursting with clues about what heaven will be like? Karen and I were walking yesterday. Of course, you know this. I think I've already said it to you in the series. All that is beautiful and good and wonderful in, in, in the old earth will be brought up into heaven, Right? plus infinite uh, delights and pleasures and joys that we can't begin to comprehend. But all that is good here will be, will be preserved and brought up into the new heaven. Of course, all of the, all the downside, as we talked about already, will be burned up. I hate to admit this. We have some other Americans in here. I hope you're not too embarrassed. It is embarrassing. There's a recent survey in America uh, it said of those who believe in a resurrection of the dead. OK, this is so embarrassing. Two thirds believe they will not have a body after the resurrection. It's like, what? OK, what is the resurrection? It's like, seriously, th- this is embarrassing. Uh, it's an oxymoron. But this actually happened, right? This is a documented survey. Two thirds believe they will not have bodies after the resurrection. OK, what are you going to do? The educational system is not what it used to be. But God is taking us back to Eden. It's a better. It's a resurrected Eden, resurrected men and women serving the glorified, resurrected Christ. Now, in his book, Alcorn charts and parallels between the original Garden of Eden and the new earth. OK, so he, he, he he's charting and paralleling some of the differences in continuity. So I'm going to just give you a list. Just sit sit there and try to uh, try to take this in. If you want my notes, just let me know and I'll email them to you. Eden, original mankind, new earth, resurrected mankind. Eden, original earth, new earth, resurrected. Eden, innocent man reigns. New earth, redeemed man reigns. Eden, God visits Eden. God, in the new earth, uh, God lives with man on the new earth. Eden tree and river of life, new earth, tree and river of new Jerusalem. Eden, no sin or death, new earth, sin and death forever vanquished. Eden, God's glory seen, new earth, God's glory fully manifested. Eden, unhindered worship, new earth, unhindered worship. Eden, mankind tends animals, new earth, harmony between man and animal. Eden, joy and satisfaction in labor. New earth, joy and satisfaction in labor. Eden, abundant delicious food. New earth, abundant delicious food. Eden, man able to sin. New earth, man empowered to never sin again. Amen? Eden, naked in innocence. New earth, clothed in righteousness. Eden, beginning of human culture. New earth, purification and expansion of culture. Eden, man... Kind grows, learns, and creates new earth. Mankind grows, learns, and creates Eden. God's plan for man revealed. New earth. God's plan for man realized. I could go on, but I, for the sake of time, will not. 19th century theologian uh, J. C. Ryle said, "You're going to like this." I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Now I've I've, I've rebuked you for this a little bit. All of us are guilty. We're not thinking about it enough. If we thought about it more, we'd be a happier people. We'd be a more uh, resolute people. We'd be a more worshipful people. We'd be a more joyful people, right? We would be uh, the most dangerous people on the planet, as one theologian said. If you get a view of the greatness of God and the inheritance he's promised to you, you would be dangerous. You would be dangerous to the status quo. You would be. You'd be dangerous. The world would hate you. Because you'd have a light in you that they don't have, nor even could begin to understand. So, Ryle says, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Alcorn says, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven accurately. Okay, this is one thing I hope I'm helping helping you do as we go through this short series. If we are to think accurately about heaven, yeah, we have to stop thinking about cherubs and clouds and harps and church services not that there won't be worship celebrations we'll talk about that in a minute I think I've already shared this with you but Francis Schaeffer 20th century theologian he says the Christian is the really free man he's free to have imagination about what God has prepared for him I love this we are the truly free man I've already said this to you in the series, but I, I have to say it to you again because I love it. I, I love this is kind of a gift from God to me. This was an insight that I had. I'm sure I stole some of from somebody. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you a question. I'm going to ask you again, to see if any of you remember the answer. Is all we'll do in heaven is worship Jesus? Is that all we'll do? Yes. And as I just said with like breathtaking heart exploding worship celebrations we'll be really excited about when the next one is going to happen and we will never stop worship, worshiping Jesus as we rule and reign and work and serve and explore and discover and learn and design and create and investigate and build and compose and play music and teach and travel and relate and meet and talk with some of our say biblical heroes, church history heroes. As we dream and love and touch and eat and hike and dance and play and ride horses on the beach and 10 other, 10,000 other things you love to do, everything we do in heaven will be an expression of worship to Christ because it's from his good hand. So every derivative joy directly flows back to Him and it's just worship. To enjoy the derivative joys is to to worship. It's like, I've got a great illustration but I'm not going to say it. But every righteous, pure joy that we experience on the planet, you should think like this. It is worship because it's a gift from God. (laughs) You know, human joy and, 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 you know, It just didn't evolve out of the muck, right? We're not just grown-up germs, as the world wants to tell us. We're experiencing joy because God prepared it for us. He prepared it for us, things that would bring us joy, and everything is marred by sin now. But soon, it will all be... Redeemed. I love what Alcorn says. He says, Man, you've never been hugged till you've been hugged in the new heaven and new earth. So, all the way down to a hug. It's all brand new, man. It's just huge. It's big. It's electrified, shall we say, in the presence of Jesus Christ. So, I've invited you in the last two or three sermons to let your sanctified imagination to borrow from Francis Schaeffer fly beyond. The stars. I love Alcorn says, you know, this is the family business. We're going to be in on the family business. We are adopted sons and daughters, right? Romans something. Eight, maybe. I don't recall. And God's bringing us into the business to rule and reign and have dominion. You know, these wackos that talk about having dominion on the earth. Wrong. Not now. But soon. You know, as as we saw in that James text in a little while. In a little while. So we will be the unchallenged delegated rulers of the created realm under the kingship of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, Matthew 25, 34, come you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God gave us dominion in the garden. We surrendered it to Satan, but God is going to redeem it and give it back. Again, under the kingship of Jesus, it's always been under the kingship of Jesus. God created mankind in the midst of a two trillion galaxy cosmos, and it was good. But you sinned and I sinned and our forebears sinned. It's why we don't live in paradise anymore. So stop blaming God that we don't live in paradise. This is not paradise. This is a world under judgment. We're a race under judgment. We're under the condemnation of God and he should not save you. You are guilty just like me. Listen, when you, when you get a deep sense of this, you you won't take your Christianity for granted anymore. You just want, it won't be about going to church anymore. It'll be about being in love with God. To this, you know, outrageous extent that it changes everything in my life because I love him. He should not have loved me. You know, it's like he told the Jews, I love you because I love you. She's in there teaching your kids right now. You know, she said something this morning. I just, uh, I just, I loved it. She said, i want to say the kids, you know, do you think it was just because God looked down and saw all these wonderful humans? And he said, I think I love them because they're so lovable. That's not the biblical picture. You're not lovable. You know, you've offended holiness and holiness should crush you. Judgment should fall on you. And then we live our Christianity and we think about it like it's, oh, well, you know, know, a Muslim is, he's into Islam and I'm into Christianity. Wrong! We're not into Christianity. We, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. It can't be small to you. If it's small to you, you've not understood it. And if it's small to you, I know I say this some, and it upsets some people. That's okay. You be upset. If it's small to you, you're unconverted. It's just the truth. If it's small to you, you are unconverted. There's this beautiful thing in the in the high point of Romans eight and nine, where he's talking about the salvation of his people. He 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 says this. Listen, Romans eight nineteen to twenty two. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So, so the new heaven and new earth are, is waiting for us, right? As God brings it into existence. For the creation was subjected to futility. The creation itself also will be set free from, from the corruption and futility of the sin of man, from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the new heaven and new earth is, is eagerly awaiting the revelation of The adopted sons and daughters of God. He says, for we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pangs of childbirth, waiting for for its creator to redeem it. Pretty good stuff. So God's not going to throw matter away. To quote Piper, matter matters to God. He made it again. The angels, the angels shouted for joy as he spoke the world into existence. God is going to recreate the physical cosmos and we will physically exercise dominion over it. New heaven, new earth. We're going to be employing our unique gifts, abilities and talents to serve King Jesus as we rule and reign in an infinitely physical cosmos. Piper makes this observation about the infinite, seemingly infinite nature of outer space. And I always love this quote. The vastness of space is not a commentary on our own insignificance. You know, the, the atheist or the agnostic, he actually sees, you know, I'm thinking of what's the guy Carl Sagan. You know, he said, well, we're just insignificant. It's arrogant to think we mean something to somebody, you know, to some deity. We're just a small blue dot, you know? And, uh, Piper says the vastness of space is not a commentary on our own insignificance. It's a commentary on the greatness of God. And this is what we're supposed to see when we look through the Hubble telescope. We're supposed to see the greatness of God. We're supposed to see the, the infinite beauty of God and the infinite intimacy of God and the beautiful, what? The infinite adventure of God. This is what God means for you to read off the cosmos. You're supposed to see some echo of your inheritance. It's forever. It never ends. You know, the scientists, they can't find the end of the cosmos. It's one of my favorite illustrations. Hubble can see 10 to 15 billion light years into space. Who knows what a light year is? Some of you can show off. Six trillion miles. It's about 10 trillion kilometers. Hubble can't find the end of the cosmos. Your father's speaking to you. They can't find the end. He's saying something to you. You're supposed to be hearing it. My father is awesome. And he's going to give it to me. Under the lordship of King Jesus. Again, this is a picture of his infinite intimacy, infinite beauty, and infinite adventure. So Alcorn provides a great comparison in his book between the assumptions about heaven and what the Bible actually says are inferred. So I'm going to give you another. Real, this is a much shorter list. Assumptions. We're going to live on a non-earth. It will be the new earth. This is the biblical truth. Assumption. It will be unfamiliar and otherworldly. The biblical inference. It will be familiar and earthly. Assumptions. We'll be disembodied spirit spirits. The biblical statements will be resurrected bodies. Assumptions. The environment will be foreign or alien. Biblical statements. We will be in our true home and we will feel like it. Assumptions. Leaving our favorite things. <laughs> Biblical assu- in- inferences. We will retain all those favorite things, plus there'll be a billion new favorite things. Assumptions. Static and boring. Biblical inferences. It will be dynamic and thrilling. Assumptions. There'll be a loss of desire. Biblical statements and inferences. We will have a raging, limitless, yet perpetually satisfied desire. I heard a quote some weeks ago, and uh, I wrote it down. When I hear a good one, I write it down, and then I try, to, I try to get it in my head. I try to memorize it, which is harder and harder for me at my age. But it said this, and I, the more I thought about it, the more I knew it was true. The saying is, every person outlives their desires. Now, I used to take my elderly mother to the doctor. And the first question they would ask her, have you experienced depression lately? And one of the second, third, or fourth questions was, how would you quantify your desire? Because this is true. I watched my mother. I watched my father. Those of you who've watched elderly people approach death. You know, my dad just stopped it. He just stopped eating. He had no desire to eat. His death certificate said adult failure to thrive. I'd never, I didn't know that was a death, a way to die. This is true, but it's not true for us in a sense. Yes, getting old and dying is old. But if we hang on to what God has promised us, all of our desires don't die for the Christian, right? The temporal ones may, but, 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 the, but the, the eternal ones never die. And they'll never be fully satisfied. It'll be perpetual pursuit and satisfaction, pursuit, satisfaction, pursuit, satisfaction forever and ever and ever. So God is taking us back to paradise. Yes, there'll be secondary joys. Flowers are beautiful because God is beautiful. Sunsets are stunning because God is stunning. Puppies are delightful because God is delightful. Recreation is fun because God is fun and the new heaven and new earth. So we're headed to the promised land. God has given us the new heaven and new earth. And you're supposed to know this. You know, it's like this is this is Bibleology 101. Listen to the way Paul talks about it. We're supposed to know that we'll rule and reign and have dominion. Paul addresses this in First Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Paul says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we will judge angels? You're supposed to know this. You're supposed to know you're going to rule and reign and have dominion. Not here, but there. And these knuckleheads that say you're supposed to have it here and you can speak it into existence. Well, it's just a lie. It's not true. All you got to do is like look around. Read read the Bible, read a little church history. Word of faith is a lie. Your words are not sovereign. God's word is sovereign. Yours are not sovereign. You do not rule and reign and have dominion. You will, but you don't have it here. You don't get to speak it into existence. That is is a lie from the pit of hell. That's what it is. Because if you can speak it into existence, what do you need God for? It's a lie to get you off of God and onto that reflection in the mirror. Okay, that was a little ad lib there. In Revelation 5, John writes that God has made us kings and priests to God, and we will reign upon the earth. Revelation 5, 9, and 10. So I want to close like this. We talked about it at Men's Bible Study. And those of you who have been around for a while, you know, you know how it is. I'm a Piper Wright. And his best book, his seminal work, was. Desiring God, meditations of a Christian hedonist. You have to you know, at first it it sounds like an oxymoron. What is a hedonist? I, I looked it up. I want to give you the proper definition. A hedonist is a person who believes that the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life. Yes, the Christian has found the ultimate pleasure. His name is Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. We are in white hot pursuit of him. We are the ultimate pleasure seekers. We will have pleasure forever as we pursue him through eternity. We are the ultimate hedonists. We don't care about, we don't care about, you know, ultimately the pleasures of the world. We want the pleasure of forever. We are the ultimate hedonists. I, I, I love that concept. I don't, you know, that's a short, real short exposure, but I hope that uh, you understand what I'm saying, we never get to the end of the pleasure that Jesus Christ affords. And she's in there right now. She says, man, I can't get this. I can't get this love of God thing. It, I can't do it in one lesson. It's too big. I said, yeah, it is too big. She's in there right now. Listen, listen to this definition of love that we share with your kids. It's all related to hedonism. It's all related to the new heaven and new earth, right? Biblical love is the overflow of joy that God has in himself. God not looking at you and thinking, "Wow, you're boy Jim is really boy. He's a, he's a I really love him. Look at look at Jim." One thing we've learned in the men's Bible study and the kids are learning that God's love is free, spontaneous, sovereign, and uncaused. It is uncaused. You don't deserve to be loved, but He decided to love you. This will make you get on your face, right? Instead of walking around with your chest out, like yeah. Of course he elected me. Of course. Why would he not? I'm hot stuff, man. Why not? If you understand your Bible, you realize. (laughs) Well, you understand. Biblical love is the overflow of joy that God has in himself. And it's spilling out on unworthy people like you and me to draw us into the greatest experience in the world, namely knowing tasting, enjoying, praising, and being swept up into the glory of God. This is the new heaven and new earth. This is how he's loved you. Right? This is It's an amazing definition from John Piper's ministry about the love of God. It cannot be all about you. It's not about you. The cross is not about you, first and foremost. It's about the glory of God. Romans 9, that his glory will be manifest as he saves his people. And then, yo yes, we're caught up in it. Beloved, if you get your theology right, it'll rock your world. You will be dangerous. You will be dangerous. But if you believe most of what's being taught today in the Christian, shall we say milieu, the Christian, whatever we want to call it, the modern church, it's, it's just it's embarrassing. It, it, it's, it's embarrassing and blasphemous. It's embarrassing and blasphemous. So here's, the th- here's, here's how I want to finish up. I just read you from Piper's material. I, just, I want to finish this up right here. If God is the greatest of all beings, from whom flows infinite joy, what is the most loving thing He can give you? It's Himself, and that's what He's doing. Health, wealth, and prosperity? Don't bore me! Right? Right? It's too small for my soul. I must have God. Now, God is a good God. He's a gracious God. Sometimes he gives health, wealth, and prosperity. And if we have health and prosperity, it's from him. But if we have the opposite of that, it's also from him. And he's doing something in it. We've, we studied Job about three or four weeks ago. We got to get off this superficial, me-centered garbage. The church never believed these things until like the last hundred years. And the church got off on some kind of, you know, part of the church got off on this goofiness that it is about me, and I am wonderful, and I deserve an inheritance. And God just wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the time, every day. It's just embarrassing. Open your Bible, please. The most loving thing God can give is himself. It is the gospel. It is the sacred romance. It never stops getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Our joy, happiness, fulfillment, gladness, delight, serenity, pleasure, success, gratification, contentment, exhilaration, exuberance. Yes, ecstasy. We'll know no bounds because God knows no bounds. And I've got two paragraphs, two short paragraphs I'm going to read. I'm done. But I really want you to hear this. I really want you to hear this. So, so try to hang, hang in with me for about two more minutes. Okay, I stole this from Piper and Edwards, Jonathan Edwards and John Piper. I took some of their random statements and I put them together regarding the eternal state of the redeemed. Okay? Eternity is not static. There will be an, you've got to listen to these words. There will be an ever increasing union and conformity through all eternity between the redeemed and God. Ever increasing union and conformity. While the creator and creature are forever distinct, there will be an escalating and intensifying nearness and oneness with God, moving upwards with a given velocity throughout all eternity. Okay, this stuff makes my heart beat fast. Last last paragraph. Since God is infinite, the creature cannot fathom the totality of his greatness or comprehend his infinite beauty or delight in all that he is. Rather... It will take an eternity for us to know and enjoy all that God is. There will never be a time when there is no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Beloved God is getting us ready for God-sized intimacy, God-sized beauty, and God-sized joy. It is the new heaven and new earth and I'm going to close like this. I'm back in Revelation 21. You can go there with me if you like. Revelation 21, verse 9, Revelation 21, verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Verse 11, having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper, which is a diamond. And then he goes into about 10 verses of describing the new Jerusalem, which we'll pick up here in verse 22. And John says, and I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the almighty, the lamb is its temple and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it for the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And He showed me, chapter 22, verse 1, He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants shall serve Him. And they shall see his face, (laughs) right? God says, you can't see my face in living. That's what he told Moses. And they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them and they shall what? Reign forever and ever.